today, I can definitely say that I'm glad that it was quote unquote failed attempt. I'm definitely glad to be here today. Back then, I would not have been. Hey there, my name is Sean, and this is Suicide Noted. On this podcast, I talk with suicide attempt survivors so that we can hear their stories. Every year around the world, millions of people try to take their own lives, and we almost never talk about it. And when we do talk about it, many of us, including me, well, we are not very good at it. So one of my goals with this podcast is to have more conversations and hopefully better conversations with attempt survivors. Now, we are talking about suicide, so this may not be a good fit for everyone. Please take that into account before you listen. I do hope you listen because there is so much to learn. If you are a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to share your story, I would love to talk. Please reach out. Hello at suicidenoted.com, or you can message us on our Twitter or Facebook pages at Suicide Noted. And to all of our listeners, our growing loyal fans, thank you so much for your support. I really appreciate it. I hope you keep listening. And please share this podcast with other people who may want or need to hear it. If you'd like to help us out with an ongoing financial contribution, We have a Patreon page. I will put that in the show notes. We have a few different tiers. So if you'd like to become a supporter in that way, wonderful. Either way, thanks so much for all of your support. Today, I am talking with Kristen. Kristen lives in Indiana, and she is a suicide attempt survivor. Hey, Kristen, how you doing? I'm good. How are you? How am I? Really? <laughs> no, I'm all right. I'm all right. <laughs> I have not had a conversation, I don't believe, with anybody in the great state of Indiana with respect to this podcast. <laughs> uh, it's, it's really not that great of a state, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know much about Indiana. There's not a whole lot. There's here. basketball. <laughs> there's some farms. Yeah. Indianapolis. It doesn't matter. Anyway, We got some cows and we got some crime. Yeah. That's about it. <laughs> Cows and crime. I love it. <laughs> I don't know if I love it, but yeah. I want to ask you, even though it's recorded, so I can always take stuff out, are there certain things that you would prefer I just don't ask or we don't talk about? Because I know sometimes this is some sensitive stuff. I mean, maybe if it had been like a lot more recently that things had happened, but I've you know, been working with therapists and stuff and working through all of it. So I'm pretty comfortable talking about about it okay so uh one thank you again for for joining me of course appreciate it i want to ask you sort of start it off is by understanding more how you came to be comfortable talking about it uh particularly with me why you reached out i'm glad you did did i reach out to you or you reached out to me I reached out to you after hearing your podcast on spotify Mm. yeah so i love hearing that just that people are hearing it that's nice because yeah 
Uh, so, yeah, what compelled you to reach out? Because I know a lot of people would not do that. So that's where I want to start. I think the reason that I reached out is because a lot of people don't reach out. I think there's so much stigma behind it that a lot of people are embarrassed to talk about it or, you know, they've got a lot of shame or they just would rather just kind of keep it bottled up than, you know, share it, even though sharing it really could, you know, make other people realize that, you know, they're not alone and they're not the only ones dealing with it and things like that. Why do you think, we'll speculate here, we're going to explore this question. Why do you think people are embarrassed or feel shame around talking about it? I think part of it's just because in general in America, I mean, and in other countries, I'm sure, but there's always been this, you know, shame behind depression. People don't want to admit, you know, that they've got problems or a lot of people might think that, you know, you've attempted suicide. So you were weak or, you know, you were selfish or, you know, kind of along those lines of things, people don't usually have positive reactions when you, you know, tell them that, you know, you survived an attempt. Right. Or even that you're just depressed. Right. The world would be a different place if people responded differently to that. I, I Absolutely. Think. But that's what we're doing this, I guess. So that's one of the reasons why we right. talk about it. And you and I at least are, are, are talking about it. Right. Share with me however you want to, or in as much as you're comfortable, about your attempt. Was there one or more than one? There was two, but there was there was one that was uh, much more serious, I guess, than the than the other one. Just back in the end of summer, beginning of fall of 2018 was just just a really really dark time because I mean they all happened, you know, pretty close together, and and it originally started where I mean I was really depressed. I ended up calling the cops on myself and telling them that you know I owned a gun and asked them if they could come and get it because I didn't feel safe with it in my home. And they did. And that was actually even before both of my attempts. My first attempt was, I believe, August of 2018. I I don't really have any recollection of it. Um, This is just what a family member has told me, but I had overdosed on pills and alcohol. I guess I was just found before you know, it got to be to a lethal point. My more serious attempt, I actually had been planning it for a while because I was roommates with my younger sister at the time. And I didn't want, you know, her to be the one that found me. So I made sure that she was at work first. And then I actually overdosed on pills and alcohol, but I had actually also tied a rope around my neck so that when I lost consciousness from the pills and the alcohol, that that would, I guess, cut off my air supply. But I had actually planned and called the hotline on myself right before I passed out because my my thought process was if I called, then, you know, the cops or somebody would find me before my sister got home from work. And so she wouldn't have to be the one that found me. So right before I felt like I was going to pass out, I did reach out and I told them where I was and stuff like that. But because I lived in an apartment complex, they were not actually allowed to enter my apartment because they didn't know exactly which one I was in. Mm-hmm. And my brother was actually a neighbor. He lived in the same complex. And when he saw the cops at my apartment, he had gone over there and asked them, you know, if they were looking for me. And they said yes. So he was actually able to get them into the apartment. When they got into the apartment, I did not have a uh, heartbeat. And I guess my lips were blue. 
so I mean, had it been even, you know, minutes off of when they did find me, I mean, mm-hmm. the you outcome could have been completely different. Right, right. You may not be here right now. Right. Even then it was, I guess, I don't, I don't, I don't know if miracle is the word I want to use, but my brother at that point in his life uh, was a very big drinker, you mm-hmm. know, every weekend. And he, he said, for whatever reason that night, he just didn't feel like it because he was not supposed to be home at that time. He was supposed to be out drinking with his friends. So he actually got home early because he didn't end up drinking. So had he not decided not to drink that night, he would not have shown up at the right time. How did he respond? He doesn't really like to talk about it even to this day, but I know from what my sister told me that I guess the cops were kind of, I guess he said spazzing out and they were kind of running around the apartment and stuff. And he was the one that actually had to take the rope off of my neck and was like yelling at them to come and help him and stuff. But I guess they, they weren't a whole lot of help. And so he ended up having to be the one to do that. So I know that's really affected him. I mean, even to this day. And that was the second attempt, the one you were just referencing. When was that? That was September 7th of 2018. So it sounds like, and if I'm off here, you'll tell me, please. Your first attempt, you tried. Mm-hmm. And pe- people pick on me for the word choice. So I want to be careful. You know, when I say succeeded or whatever, I don't. Right. You're alive after that. Attempt. Right. Let's leave it at that. You attempted shortly after that. Mm-hmm. I always, I often ask people how they feel about their attempt. And when somebody tries and then shortly after tries again, it sounds like you were on a mission. Mm-hmm. You were like, nah, didn't work. So maybe I'm off here, but tell me how do you feel when you're the first attempt when you didn't die? And now that it's been more, more than two years after your second attempt, like how do you feel about the fact that you're still here with us? Well, after the first attempt, I was sent you know, to a hospital, obviously. And that hospital that I went to, it was kind of almost like a prison. Um, they kind of just locked you in your room. There was no therapy. There was no, the doctors didn't come and, you know, try to come up with some sort of plan to prevent it from happening again. And so at that point, you know, I was in a dark spot and I didn't feel like they had helped at all. And so I felt, you know, I was angry, I guess, with myself that it did not, you know, succeed or whatever term you want to use. And I had sat there and thought about, all the places I had made mistakes in my first attempt. And that's when I made my second attempt because, you know, I was like, oh, well, this didn't work. So maybe I need to change and, you know, do this so that maybe I don't pull through this one. But then after the second one, I was sent to a completely different hospital. The doctors there were incredible. They Hmm. actually listened. They actually wanted to help. They, we tried, you know, medications. We tried I've been in counseling. Um, I've also done something called ECT to help with it. And that has, that has been really significant in helping to this point. And on, and today I can definitely say that I'm glad that, that it was, you know, quote unquote failed attempt. Yeah. Um, I'm definitely glad to be here today. Back then I would not have been. So the ECT helped. Yes. Tremendously. Therapy helps. Yes. Yes. Are you on any sort of medication for that? So right now I'm actually kind of in between medications. Um, We're trying to find one that works because since my attempts, I've been diagnosed with a couple of different mental health disorders. 
Mm-hmm. And so we're kind of, we're kind of trying to fight the, find the right combination for them right now. Can be tricky for sure. Yes, absolutely. Here's a really tough question I want to ask. And it is, is there a why specifically around why Kristen attempted suicide? So after, I guess, after talking with the doctors and stuff, one of my first diagnosis after my attempts was PTSD. And so I think a lot of it was the fact that I was not working through those problems. Um, I was not taking any sort of medication for those problems. It got to be too much. It was, I felt like, cause I have a daughter. Mm-hmm. I felt like, you know, in the mental state that I was in, that she would have been, you know, better off without, you know, having a mother around that was constantly dealing with that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So, but definitely, definitely the PTSD. One of the myths that I think is important to talk about, and it just came up with somebody I spoke to earlier this week, was this myth about being selfish. I mean, what you just said about your daughter is very similar in some ways to what she said, because she said, when I chose to attempt suicide, I genuinely thought I was doing both my daughter and the rest of her family a favor. Mm -hmm. It was out of love. Yep. Now, regardless of what others might say about that then or now, that's how she felt. Right. A hundred percent. I can totally back up what she's saying, because when I've been in a healthy state of mind, I understand why it's so hard for people to see it from our perspective, because even when I'm in a healthy state of mind, even though I have been through all of that, you know, I think, wow, that was incredibly stupid of me to think. But when the depression was as bad as it was. I genuinely thought that my entire family and the world would have just been better off if I was not there. Yeah. When someone's feeling that way, what do you say or do to sort of help them feel otherwise? I, it seems like a tall task, you know, and I don't know if there's an answer. I uh, just like, what would you, what could someone have said to you then? I don't know if this is something that's going to make sense. What could someone have done or said then that may have prevented you from attempting if anything I, I tell a lot of people that friends that have said you know I'm sorry that I you know wasn't there to say the right thing and honestly with as deep down as I was in the depression I don't know if there was anything anybody could have said right that would have made me change my mind because I was completely 100% convinced that you know they're just saying that to be nice and mm-hmm if I really saw what they really thought, you know, they really would be better off if I wasn't here. Yeah. You had said you had, you, you've dealt with PTSD. Mm-hmm. I don't want to harbor on people's pain, right. And get into the, the details of their lives. But I ask because I know people who are listening. One of my goals is to help them feel less alone. Right. Might be, you're not the only person who's ideated or attempted, and that might help you in knowing you're not alone. And sort of connected to that is, I'm curious to learn a little bit more, again, and as much as you're comfortable sharing of the stuff that you dealt with growing up that led to those two attempts in 2018. I'm not a therapist. I'm not asking you for all that stuff, but just to get right. a sense of what was your life like? And in part that you know led to PTSD among other diagnoses or stuff that you've dealt with. Does that make sense? Yes. One of the biggest, I guess, is a relationship that I was in. I know that that's one of, you know, the main, if not the biggest factor in, you know, my PTSD. Uh, It was an extremely abusive relationship. I stayed in it way longer than I should have for some 
personal reasons. I mean, it was just your, you know, you see on the TV about, you know, abuse cases and stuff like that. And it was so similar to the ones I've seen on TV, but I didn't realize that when I was in it. But I mean, even the, you know, pressing charges and then, you know, going back and recanting my statement and saying that it was a lie, even though it really did happen, just out of fear of retaliation from him. The relationship that caused the PTSD ended probably no later than 2013 or 14. But just the fact that I didn't take care of all of the damage that was done because of that relationship, it all just kind of manifested and then just kept getting worse and worse and worse over the years. Building. Yes. Year after year after year. Yes. Was there something about that particular day in the fall of 2018? Because I always wonder, like, things build. Mm -hmm. Obviously, build and build and build. And at some point, we break. Mm -hmm. may not be a particular thing. It might not have been that someone said something or you got the bill in the mail or that you had one too many drinks. Do you remember, was there something about that day where it was like, I'm done and that you actually took action on it as opposed to all the other days leading up to it? Because it was premeditated for quite a while. Um, I don't think there was, I think I picked that day specifically because, you know, I knew my sister was going to be at work. You know, I figured you know, my brother wasn't going to be at home. And I felt like that would have been the best for them. But I don't really know specifically what maybe my breaking point was to where I was like, you know, I'm going to do this and, you know, start planning for it. Because the planning, it it was pretty time consuming, and it did take a decent amount of time. Yeah. Interesting point. Because yes, sometimes people plan. It's not just an impulsive Mm -hmm. thing where they, yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that's why I, you know, at the time I was so sure that that was, you know, what I needed to do because it wasn't impulsive. It was something that had been on my mind for a long time and, you know, the feeling wasn't getting better. Did you say goodbye to anyone? Do you remember either time? No, I know I wrote notes one of the time, but I did not say goodbye because I didn't want anybody to try to stop me. Yeah. My most serious attempt, the one that I was at the time, I was 100% convinced that it was going to work, was on September uh, 7th. And on September 1st, I went and met up with one of my really good friends that I hadn't seen in a couple of years, you know, hung out with him and had a good day and stuff like that. I had talked to him, you know, after the fact, about a year after my attempt. And he said he kind of had a gut feeling that that's what it was because I hadn't reached out in a while and just randomly reached out. Wow. He's pretty uh, attentive or something. Yeah. Yeah, he is. Mm. Yeah. And so you had said when you, when you, the second time you were sure it was going to work, your brother found you and that in and of itself is sort of a miracle. Mm -hmm. You got the kind of good help you needed to sort of get right. But were you still at all pissed when you woke up or something where it's like, fuck. So when I passed out, You know, I don't have any recollection of it up until I woke up in the ICU. I believe it was my mom and my sister or my mom and my biological father in there. And the first thing I remember is waking up and just seeing the hurt on my mom's face. Mm -hmm. And I think it was at that point I realized, all right, I can't, you know, I can't do this to her. You know, I knew she loved me and stuff like that. But at the time I was so convinced that she would have been better off. But seeing just 
the hurt that I caused her, I knew, I knew it was time, you know, I said it to myself, okay, I, I need to get help if not for myself, you know, for her and for my daughter. And how old were you then? Believe I was 22. You're so young. Yeah. I'll be 25 next month. How old's your daughter? She is nine. I actually had her at 15 years old. Wow. Cool. Yeah. I don't know if that's the right response. Cool. But (laughs) I just, I'm older and without kids, I'm always like, wow, what a different life. You know what? Yeah, absolutely. So your mom responded the way she did, or, or you saw her look. Uh, I, I, if you listen to the podcast, there's probably some questions you'll hear me ask, and I always ask them. So whether it's your mom, your brother, uh, maybe your daughter was a little young. Did your daughter know about it, by the way? No, she does not. I plan on telling her when she's a little bit more able to understand. She listens Just- to podcasts? No. <laughs> let's, make sure, has- let's make sure yeah. she doesn't accidentally <laughs> find this, uh, okay? Right, right. No, I, I'm pretty strict about that kind of stuff just because of the way the world is today. I'm trying to protect her as long as I can. Right. How did the people in your life, family, friends, whomever, respond to your attempt? Yeah. An overwhelming outpour of love and support mm-hmm. and, you know, care, especially in the beginning, you know, when I was in the hospital, because after that, after my serious attempt, I was in the hospital for two weeks. My mom visited every day. My sister, who was my roommate, visited almost every single day. You know, I had a couple of coworkers come in. I had, you know, friends from high school that I hadn't talked to in years uh, reach out to me. So mostly positive. Yes. Afterwards, like, I mean, even a couple of weeks ago, I was sitting down with my sister and, you know, we hung out. We kind of, you know, sat down and talked about it. I caused, you know, an immense amount of pain. But I think they were strong enough to put that aside for the time being because they just wanted to see me get better. And they were just happy that I was still here. So -hmm. they were willing to put that to the side just to help me get through, you know, whatever I was dealing with. Because they probably probably were, it was probably on their level. They wanted to say some stuff. Oh, do we want to tell her? Right. Well, and I taught when I, when I was talking to my sister, she was, especially for her, my older brother and my mom, she was just, you know, kind of talking about the effects that it had. Like she said, you know, ever since then, you know, she's scared. She starts to freak out when, you know, she tries to call somebody and they don't answer if, you know, she's expecting them to be, you know, by their phone or if she misses a call from, you know, one of her family members, you know, she kind of panics and always jumps to think the worst because of that phone call that she got about, my attempt. Yeah, that makes so sense. It definitely has lingering effects, even not just on the person that attempts, but you know their loved ones as well. How often uh, do you talk about it? I realize there's not a lot of real sort of spaces or reasons. You're not going to just like meet someone in a cafe and just start talking about it. So, right. How often does it come up where you where you talk about it? It's probably only come up a handful of times. I mean, outside of therapy. You know, I've had a friend who was possibly, possibly suicidal, and I kind of use that, especially the hurt that even the attempt caused my family. I use that to kind of tell her, you know, it doesn't seem like it, but, you know, they're going to be really hurt and been able to use it a couple of times in that situation. Um, And then my family doesn't really talk about it a whole lot, which I'm okay with because, you know, if I need to vent something, Mm -hmm. you know, I do that in therapy as well as like my mom has gone with me 
to the counseling sessions a couple of times just so that, you know, we kind of had a safe space to really talk about it. Definitely. Yeah. Great. I'm glad that that's available. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Are there any specific sort of misunderstandings or myths, be it around your experience with all this or speaking more broadly about uh, suicide? The biggest myth that I I guess doesn't really make me angry, but I, I hate when people say, suicide is selfish yeah that's a big one that comes up Kristen. Yes. <laughs> yeah. why does that yeah. bother you because it's not because and i understand why it could be a myth because you really don't know what a suicidal person is feeling unless you've been there you know even if you've been close to it you don't fully understand it unless you've experienced it and i can see why they would think you know how how could you do this to the family how could you do this to me how could you leave you know so and so behind but I can honestly say from the bottom of my heart, when I was suicidal, I really, truly was convinced that that was what was best for my entire family. That must be such a tough spot. You think yeah. you're doing something for good, for love. Mm-hmm. Not only, do, yeah, and it's just the opposite that people are sort of coming at you. Right. Mm. And, an- and another myth, at least in my case, is when people say that suicidal people want to die, you know, they just want to die. You know, I sat there numerous times, even, you know, when I was planning coming up to my attempt, even just sitting there thinking about how I was going to be gone. Like, you know, I would start, you know, I would break down. I would ball my eyes out because I didn't want to die. I just, I needed everything to stop. Right. You tried stuff to yes. make it stop. A lot of stuff. It didn't work well enough. Right. People aren't very good, Kristen, I don't think with, I don't know if the words nuance or sort of gray area conflict in that, like what you're saying makes sense. Look, there might be people out there who legitimately want to die. We don't know for sure. Right. I think what you're saying makes a lot of sense is I don't really want to die. I'm just, nothing's working. I've been trying it for a while. This is the only thing that will work. Right. No, is that, is that an accurate way of you feeling or did I put words in your mouth? Oh, no, absolutely. And even people, you know, say that, you know, they don't want to die. They just want the pain to stop. But it had gotten so bad that it wasn't even I just wanted the pain to stop. I just I needed I needed everything to stop. I didn't know how else to do it at that point. And we don't tend to give people a lot of credit for the fight they fight to figure that out. Yep. The narrative tend more. Maybe it's just what I hear. I don't know of the negative stuff around the attempt, as opposed to all the positive stuff around the struggle and the fight. Mm-hmm. And if you put, hey, you know what's so weird? If you put that same energy into getting an A on a test or climbing a mountain, we would we would worship the ground you walk walk on. Right. But all the same energy, not start to feel like absolute shit. We kind of dismiss, and I'm like, yep, that's really hard, y'all. Yep. People don't understand that mental health is health. Taking care of your mental health is, you know, you cut your knee open or something like that. You're going to go to the doctor and you're going to get it fixed and nobody's going to, you know, bat an eyelash. But if, you know, you start getting depression and stuff, people are, there's so much stigma behind it and people just, yeah, a lot of people really don't understand it. Well, I'd asked you the question earlier, not, not, yeah, some of my questions, I don't really expect like a right answer or even any answer, but when I asked about embarrassment or shame, it really does make me wonder the stigma, I guess is the mm-hmm. word. I don't, I just don't know where, why it's the way it is or where it came from. And it might, I don't know if we'll ever know. It just, 
confounds me. Maybe that's one of the reasons I was tempted to put a damn podcast together about it. I'm just, <laughs> right. I don't understand the stigma around it. And I want to, even though I have a bit of an attitude about it, I really don't get it. Right. I understand. If I feel like the suicide rate in and, in and of itself would go down significantly if people knew they could reach out. I'm not ashamed of it anymore, but even to this day, I, you know, have friends that are like, well, why couldn't you just snap out of it? Your mindset is completely your control. You know, if you think right. negative, you know, you're going to get negative results. And it's like, that's not how it works with depression. Right. And a lot of people don't understand that. But it's really tricky when they don't know what they don't know. Right them to modify their words or behavior it's really really tricky but right oh i've heard those things that you just said to me i feel like i was almost triggered (laughs) this idea of like well just snap out snap Kristen. tell me if we're on the same page here if i could just snap out of it i'd snap out of it you exactly i i wish it was and even to this day i wish it was that simple you know because it's a lifelong battle. And, you know, if I could just snap it off and suddenly everything's fine in my head, you know, that would make my life so easier. It's such a way to really invalidate. It doesn't happen to me often, but when anything like that has happened to me, snap out of it or think positively, I just want to say, Mm -hmm. I hadn't thought of that. Thank you (laughs) so much for bringing that wisdom into my life because I just hadn't thought of the possibility Right. Nobody appreciates my New York sarcasm, Kristen. So, uh, but <laughs> no, you know, no, that's that's funny. That's a comeback. I'm going to have to use one of these days. Oh yeah, no, no. Take a few moments. <laughs> and genuinely, yes. So, to our listeners, open-ended question: Any words for them, whoever they are in 83 countries now, and the state of Indiana? That's awesome. I get. I, I know what I want to say. I guess I'm just trying to figure out how to put it sure. into words. There's people out there that understand. You know, you're not alone. It's not selfish. You know, there's people that really, truly, you know, understand where you're coming from. They felt that pain. Find somebody, find somebody to talk to, you know, even if it's just one person, there's resources, there's hotlines, just somebody, because even just talking about it, you know, saying it verbally almost, I guess, takes a weight off your shoulders. It really does feel good to not bottle it up inside and feel like not a single soul in the world would, would understand. So. You found the you found the words. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like I don't know. I feel like that really, truly could help even just one person, you know, not bottling right. it up is so important. Yeah. hundred like, percent. It's like, take you know, it's like taking a soda bottle and, you know, shaking it up when you take that cap off. Yeah. But then all the pressure is gone. Any chance that you'll try again, do you think? Um, no, because one, I'm in a much better place now, but more importantly than anything else is I've got the support that I need. I know I've, you know, now I'm aware of all of the resources that I've got, you know, around me and also really important. I, I've seen the way that even my attempt affected my family. I can't imagine what an actual suicide would do to them. And you've made it through what nine, ten months of a damn lockdown. Yeah, <laughs> and you and you reached out to talk to me on the podcast, so that that's something for sure. That's pretty positive. I don't right. I think yeah. I, I agree. It's been pretty good. The uh, 
with quarantine's not been as bad as I was worried it would be. Um, luckily I work at, you know, quote unquote essential job. So I've not been, you know, stuck at home or anything like that, but you know, for people maybe that are depressed that are, you know, stuck at home or they're laid off or whatever, just, I mean, even going for a walk, just getting out of the walls of your home can make a big difference. When you, when you say quote unquote essential jobs, it sounds like you don't think it's essential, but somebody else. (laughs) I, uh, for a, um, shipping company. Wow. And wait, wait, let's back up. Well, I guess in the world it's 2020, so you can be anywhere doing anything. But I think if I had to guess 50 jobs, somebody in Indiana does. Shipping <laughs> is not the first 50 that would come to mind. Yeah, no, I do. I actually drive a yard truck for them. So I'm I move trailers around all night. Quick thing I've never done before. I do a little favorite game. It's kind of not related to the reason we are on the podcast. Ready? Okay. Your favorite musical band or group. It would have to be maybe Nirvana or Breaking Benjamin, actually. Your favorite color? Blue. Food? Probably Italian, but it kind of depends on my mood. Couple more I got. TV or film or or both? That's a difficult one. I like Law and Order. Law and Order. That's probably my favorite. Is that the one where it goes, da-dun? Yes. (laughs) Famous. So. Uh, the only other thing I, a couple of other questions. You were in a car. Yes. <laughs> talking to me. Yes. What kind of car is it? It's a GMC terrain. Would not recommend. Oh, really? You don't like it? No, I do not. It's got a lot of issues in the past. <laughs> I would say it's still considered reliable. So I, I'm not complaining, but I'm not recommending this type of car to anybody. I, I never assume I ask the right questions or the best questions. So did I leave something out that you wanted to share? More than anything, I just wanted to share my story so that, you know, people listening understood that, you know, they're not alone. And, you know, there really are people that deal with, you know, really similar issues to what they're dealing with. Thank you for that. I appreciate you. We connected and we found a time to talk. And I agree with you. I think people need to hear this stuff. And, I do think they feel less alone. Good. So I, I, I know I did when I found your podcast. You know, I think what you're doing is a really great thing. Thank um, you. you know, this isn't really a topic that a lot of people are willing to do, you know, just because of the stigma behind it, I think. So the few people that are willing to, you know, it, it definitely makes a difference, you know, coming from somebody that has, you know, attempted, you know, it, it definitely makes a difference to know that, you know, other people or at least trying, you know, to understand what, you know, suicide attempt survivors go through. For sure. And I'm, I'm glad you're here to be able to share the story because well, it's gone very differently based on what you've shared. Yes. And it does go very differently for some people. Yes. I'm not here anymore. Yeah. Especially because it sounds like you're glad. I don't know if that's the best word that you're here. Damn good for you and your family and your lovely daughter. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't want to be weird or presumptuous, but I'm, betting she's happy that you're around (laughs) most days yes no right right Uh, (laughs) no she she definitely she's a mama's girl for sure Mm. cool well thanks again uh keep doing what you're doing stay strong and uh and we'll we'll connect again soon i hope all righty thank you so much all right kristen take care have a good day thanks you too bye 
Thanks so much for listening and special thanks to Kristen out in Indiana. If you are a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to share your story, I'd love to talk. You can email us hello at suicidenoted.com or reach out on social media at Suicide Noted. Really appreciate you listening. And again, if you want to help out in some other ways, we've got that Patreon page. Check it out. Stay strong. Do the very best you can. I'll talk to you soon.